Well, happy Aloha Friday. Thanks so much for tuning in here to Spotlight Hawaii. I'm Ryan Kalesuji, joined by Yanji Denise. Yanji is joining us, as always, from Honolulu. <laughs> I'm actually in Columbus, Ohio, following the Hawaii Rainbow Men's Volleyball team as they take on BYU for a national championship. We're actually going to be speaking to head coach Charlie Wade later in this program, so stay tuned. But first, we have another guest uh, that we'd like to get to. It's the Beaky and Bo show here today, Yanji. <laughs> Beaky and Bose, we like that alliteration there. Thanks so much, Ryan. Yeah, we're joined this morning by Todd Boulanger, who is the executive director of Beaky. Uh, this is such an important program in our city. And uh, right now, it sounds like it's some it's in some pretty dire financial straits. So Todd, welcome. Good morning. And, and tell us, uh, what's the state of the program right now? Well, aloha, and thank you for this opportunity. Uh, yes, I mean, Beaky Bike Share, uh, as many and some and most of your viewers would know is um, Honolulu's uh, public bike share system and we're in our fourth year of operations um, the pandemic um, really kind of knocked the wind out of the system uh, we were actually originally due to do some very large cutbacks last April um, but uh, the city had asked us um, as an essential mobility service to stay open at full capacity so we didn't uh, cut any stations um, we didn't cut any um, bicycles. And so for your viewers, we have um, uh, our system is generally about 1,300 bicycles uh, spread over uh, about 130 uh, odd uh, stations throughout urban Honolulu from Evole all the way past Diamond Head uh, up into KCC and Kaimuki. Um, so we were, we were going at a very good clip in our fourth year at the start last January and February. Um, Every year, we've generally had about a 20 to 30% growth in uh, total trips. Um, but then as you and uh, many of our viewers have experienced the pandemic hit and in Honolulu, the lockdowns uh, dropped our ridership by about 68% in that first, first month of the lockdowns. Um, so overall, over the year, we, um, we had about 50% of the trips that uh, we had um, previously had versus the year 2019. So as an example, uh, instead of uh, the 2019 total trips of about 1.4 million trips for the year, we were just over 700 million, excuse me, 700,000 trips. So about just about half. Um, our growth, we had expected uh, 2020 to be even a bigger growth year than 2019. So that 1.4 million trips should have been probably 1.8 um, million trips based on past growth. So that's where we are. And uh, as many of our um, members know, we've reached out to our over our 44,000 current customers to say, hey, um, just let your city council member know how important this public bike share system is to you to get around uh, Honolulu um, and uh, let them know and uh, share your aloha. Um, our friends at Blue Planet have uh, graciously started a petition to support that effort. And if you go to change.org and just uh, type in Beaky Bike or Mayor Blangiardi, the petition will come up. It's live. And so definitely, uh, if you're interested in helping Beaky, um, do um, sign the petition. We're, we're at just below, um, I think, 1,800 uh, signatories right now. So it's doing very well for just being up for seven days. 
And, and Todd, have you had any of those conversations or any any correspondence with the mayor's office, the administration, or the council members? Uh, we know that in prior administrations, in the Caldwell administration, there was a big push for bikes and this bike sharing program, you know, the bike lanes that have been added in and around the city and county of Honolulu. Uh, have you heard any of the same response and, and maybe just any sort of uh, positive notes coming from this administration uh, with Mayor Blangiardi? Oh, definitely. I mean, everything... I mean, if you look around, uh, the uh, Mayor Blangiardi's team has just recently opened the uh, Ward Avenue protected bike lanes. And so there's definitely continuing moment momentum for supporting uh, cycling as a transportation mode. Um, even last, uh, what, two weeks ago for Earth Day, the city came out and released its uh, 2025 climate action plan. And Beaky really fits into that. Um, if, you're, if you have a chance to look at the city's climate action plan, um, it's some very, very um, progressive, but also um, basically important uh, objectives to meet to, to protect the resiliency and uh, the, you know, the current lifestyle on this island. And bike share helps by avoiding um, for every trip that a person uses for Beaky Bike Share or a, a private bike, uh, you're not releasing uh, global greenhouse gas emissions into your neighborhood. Um, and so we, Beaky really fits into that plan. And instead of cutting back bike share, um, the city should be and will be um, tripling down or doubling down on bike share just to, you know, fulfill the, um, the objectives of that critical plan for the long-term viability of the city on Oahu. And um, the mayor's office has communicated that they're very interested in its discussions. We have been coordinating and discussing um, with uh, DTS, Department of Transportation Services, and uh, our partners have been reaching out to um, council members and other partners with the state and also at the federal level. So we're we're kind of we're kind of touching upon all levels to see what um, short-term and also possibly long-term um, plans uh, could be implemented for you know tighter integration of Beaky Bike Share as a as a public mobility mode on Oahu. Um, most most bike share systems in the U.S. are um, public systems. Um, bike Share Hawaii, the nonprofit, was set up by the city um, back in 2014 to to kind of test the concept of, of um, bike share in Honolulu. It was you know a great unknown if kamaainas and also additionally tourists would integrate bicycling into their daily lives. And and Beaky has proven that. Um, you know, cycling is relevant for a, a mobility mode in Honolulu. You know, we've we've always um, punched above our weight nationally, being the eighth most ridden system uh, in the U.S. in 2017, and then more recently, 2018 and 2019, being the sixth most ridden docked bike share system in the nation per uh, NACDO's ranking. And what that really means is Honolulu is up among Boston, uh, New York, Chicago, uh, the Bay Area, and D.C., as a as a top operating and um, use uh, use you know useful system. Um, well, let's talk about those numbers for just a second. Getting back to the kind of financial support that this organization needs, I know that you've had to cut uh, a handful of stations to remove a handful of stations. What's the trajectory? Uh, how much money do you need in the short term? And if you don't get the, that financing, what happens to the system? So if if the the, the members if you're, I guess, viewers, um, 
remember back in the summer, um, the Oahu Transit uh, Service, the, the bus, received about 91 to $92 million through the, the CARES Act. Um, bike share didn't, wasn't, um, that those funds weren't accessible for bike share. So what we're looking at right now is kind of a bridge uh, amount of funds, uh, about probably several hundred thousand dollars. Um, DTS is kind of leading what is possible as to what that package could be. Um, and then long-term regarding what is next for Beaky, there's some discussions about what to do. Um, we have a, a public and private um, mix of equipment. Um, our, our, our operator, our for-profit operator secure owns three quarters of the equipment and the city owns the other quarter based on um, some federal funds that uh, uh, we, the nonprofit, were able to secure in 2018. And so part of the discussion is how to kind of better integrate those, those, that hardware and the service into the city uh, mobility plan and, and services. You know, as before uh, all this happened with the pandemic and you, you spoke about some of the challenges that you folks are facing right now, there was uh, a lot of talks about the expansion of Beaky, of incorporating mm -hmm. different types of bikes and, uh, you know, the increase in stations and the stretch and the, the breadth of which this program would then reach to different communities. Uh, I'm wondering now, are, are all of that, is that all just put on hold right now? Or are you still trying to find ways to advance what the program is while also recognizing that there is this financial limitation? No, that's a, that's a great question. Um, prior to the pandemic, Beaky, the, the service, the Fairbox recovery was just above break even. So we were covering um, our operations costs and we were also covering the, the, the $5 million bank loan that the original um, portion of the equipment, the thousand um, bikes and hundred stations required. Um, you know, most systems in the U.S. are funded by fully federal uh, grants. You know, like when a city buys a city bus, you know, 80% of that um, cost is generally um, paid for by the federal government. Um, in a sense, Beaky has flipped that and that, uh, you know, three quarters of the system was privately financed. Um, regarding expansion, you know, we're still talking to partners about potential expansion. Um, but, you know, we were hoping to do electric bikes this year. Uh, in 2021, we were we were looking at and discussing with our partners about expanding um, EVA into Kali'i Palama because you know there are a lot of underserved communities there who could really use access to affordable transportation. You know, Beaky Bike Share passes uh, start at $15 per month for the commuter pass, so that's unlimited 30-minute uh, rides throughout that month. And if you have um, uh, if you're pre-screened for a low-income access plan that price drops down to $10 a month. So imagine instead of paying $70 a month for a bus pass, you can pay $10 or $15 a month for a Beaky Pass and have some of the similar in-town uh, mobility. Um, and we're also talking to our partners at HECO and private developers about um, bringing in electric bikes, um, which would help us um, by facilitating service to some of the more difficult areas for our members to reach, like back of Palolo Valley, you know, Manalani Heights, uh, longer distances out Eva, and then past Kaimuki um, uh, in the Cocoa Head direction. Uh, right now, we have a, about an eight-mile um, service area, you know, going from Evil A to past Diamond Head. 
You know, when I read your Island Voices column in the paper, um, it sounded like things were, you know, sort of you're, you're at a crossroads, if you will. Mm -hmm. If you don't get this support, how much longer can your organization survive? Is there a chance that Beaky could go under? Well, that's that is one of the that's one of the, the outcomes we're trying to not uh, reach in a sense. Um, there, you know, there is always a chance that Beaky, the bike share system in Honolulu will close. Um, that could happen in three to six months, depending on how our discussions with the city go and any short-term bridge um, funding. Um, we we hope it doesn't come to that, but um, uh, after a year of of operating um, and spending above our 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 fare box income, so instead of you know instead of having a fare box recovery rate of about 100 to 101 percent last uh, year, we had about 50 percent fare box recovery. You know, most transit systems operate at about 20 to 30 percent fare box. And so we're still operating better than most transit systems, but we don't have the, you know, with our, our equipment loans uh, still being uh, required to be paid off. That's kind of the, the difficulty we're having in the sense that revenues don't cover those costs uh, during the pandemic. Um, we found that a lot of our members still use Beaky during the pandemic. Um, when we surveyed our members uh, in June and July, 79% uh, of them said that they were still riding Beaky because they felt it was the most uh, safe to them um, public shared mobility mode in in, in town. Um, you know, they'd rather get on a Beaky than get in a bus or in an Uber or in a taxi. So, you know, we're still providing that service for folks. And, um, you know, once tour full tourism comes back, we'll also serve tourists, you know, during the pandemic, uh, the highlight of our service was that about 80% of all of our trips were by members and thus, you know, local residents still getting around versus about 65 to 70% during normal times. And so we became even more relevant to our, our in-town um, members and uh, voters and uh, come on us. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was it was a great outlet during the pandemic. I'll tell you that I was on, on my the Beaky bike fairly often. Uh, as we wrap up here with time with you, wanted to again, if people are just tuning in a little late, uh, quickly before you leave, if you can just remind people where they can go if they want to support the program, if they want right. to uh, get the word out about supporting, where can they go to? So um, we we would ask that your viewers do several things. One, please go to change.org and um, fulfill the Blue Planet uh, petition to help save Beaky. So that's change.org and search under Beaky Bike or Mayor Blangiardi and then fulfill that uh, petition. Additionally, um, for our members and those that wish to support Beaky, please contact your city council member and just say that, you know, how Beaky has helped you get around during the pandemic and what it means to you uh, for your livability in um, Honolulu. Um, additionally, we are also working at the state level. So if you uh, would wish to share your um, thoughts with your state senator or house member, you can also do that. Um, but again, we, we're really coordinating with DTS and uh, asking city council to, you know, to investigate any available funds to kind of help us bridge through this, this um, pandemic, uh, this pandemic impact on our service so that we can continue operating in years five and on, you know. Bike share is definitely relevant, and we would uh, ask for any help to make it even more relevant to more people uh, throughout Oahu um, in the future. 
Okay, well, Todd Boulanger, Executive Director of Beaky, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, we really do appreciate your time. Aloha and thank you for your kukua. Thank you. Well, great to hear from him. And, you know, if that is an a program that you think is important to the city, he gave us some very specific calls to action and, you know, a warning, if you will, three to six months is not a lot of time. And without some serious help, uh, it does sound like they're going to have a hard time making it. Yeah, definitely go ahead and check that uh, change.org site out and uh, sign that petition if it is something and if Beaky is a program that you've utilized or plan to utilize. Uh, definitely would be sad to see them go because it has become a big part of the transportation plan for the senior county of Honolulu. Uh, switching gears here, uh, I have been talking about it all week long. Of course, I'm here in Columbus, Ohio, following the University of Hawaii men's volleyball team. Joining us now from a conference room a few doors or floors <laughs> down is head coach Charlie Wade. Charlie, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, thanks for being a part of this. Let's start off by first talking about that big win just last night against conference rival Santa Barbara. Your thoughts about how last night went? Yeah, it went well. Obviously, we um, thought we executed the game plan well. And, um, you know, guys were pretty fired up to get back on the court for sure. Oh, there's Pat Gassman walking in behind us. <laughs> <laughs> well, Coach, we, uh, you know, so many fans are so excited to watch this. And what's different, of course, about you being there is that you have fans in the stands for the first time all season. Tell us about what is that. I know that it's limited, but what is it like to have that in-person energy? Yeah, it was great. It really was. I know everybody was really looking forward to it. Um, you know, I've said uh, real voices and real faces and, you know, the, the crowd support for us has been such a huge part of our success for so long that just having people there and, you know, and there are all loved ones and family members and just uh, it was unbelievable. It really was a special moment. You know, I also want to look back at the year that was in 2024, this team, and being able to bring back players like Rada Parpunuk, Pat Gassman, and Colton Kyle to be a part of this now championship run. Talk to us about the experience of the team during the pandemic. What were some of the things that you folks as a team did to prepare you for this moment during this abbreviated timeout during 2020? Yeah, I mean, the, the guys pretty much stayed on track. You know, they just they kept working out and they kept training when they could. And they were doing, you know, for a while there, it was what I'd call kind of the jailhouse workout. You know, you're just in your apartment, your dorm room and, you know, doing pushups and sit-ups, whatever they could. And then when they could get out and whether it was play beach or go to the park and, you know, um, just play two on two on grass, but uh, they just kept training and kept working to get to this moment. You know, that was the dream the whole time that they, um, you know, wanted to get here and, and wanted to make sure that when they did, they were, um, in the best shape possible to win. So uh, we're really looking forward to the opportunity tomorrow. I think a lot of fans will be curious about just what it's been like with COVID-19 getting up there, the protocols that you've had to follow and sort of what the away game experience is like. Can you walk us through a little bit of that? Yeah, I mean, for us, it's made pretty simple. You know, the, the testing, <laughs> um, you know, we, we kind of went back and forth on whether we were going to get vans like we usually do on a road trip or get the bus for something like this. We usually get a bus and we're pretty uh, thankful that we went with the vans now because we've all been having to run around to different Walgreens and CVS uh, to get COVID tests to return to Hawaii. We did the same thing on Wednesday. So um, yeah, it's just one of those things that you got to kind of navigate. But, you know, in terms of the regular, just the volleyball side of it, they've um, between our administration and the NCA, they make it pretty simple and, uh, you know, allow us just to focus on uh, getting on the court and playing volleyball. 
Earlier this week, Radha Parpunov was named the AVCA National Player of the Year, uh, the third player in UH history to get this honor and distinction. Talk about what he means to this team and uh, how you feel about his progress over his career during it at, at UH. Yeah, you know, I'm really thrilled for Rado and um, well deserved. You know, his uh, his progress has been remarkable. His dominance as a collegiate player is. Um, I mean, just really been significant. You know, he, he was clearly the best player in college volleyball this year. You know, the numbers he put up night in and night out were really impressive. And, um, you know, he's he's really bought into the program and the, the whole kind of idea of doing your best in everything. You know, he's he has a degree, a, a business degree from Scheidler, and he's finishing a master's. And um, he's been a really good student the whole time he's been here. So, you know, it's we just couldn't be more proud of him. And, you know, uh, while – you know, he tries to deflect the, um, you know, the the acknowledgement of his, you know, his success. Uh, it is well deserved, but I do know that he would trade all of the the individual recognition for uh, tomorrow's championship for sure. Well, speaking of the championship, tell us about what you think the biggest difference is between the team that you're leading right now and the 2019 team that also made it to the national championships. Uh, I mean, I think this group's just been through a lot, right? I mean, and, and it is an advantage to be another year older and smarter and stronger. And um, and these guys have been really resilient. You know, they've been here a long time, but they've been through a lot, both good and bad. Um, and every step of the way, they've, you know, continued to stay focused on the things they can control. And, um, you know, I, I think we're going to be pretty dialed in for tomorrow. Let's talk a little bit about that matchup against BYU. You know, obviously a talented team that you'll be going up against with the Cougars. What are you telling your team heading into tomorrow's big match? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, a lot of familiarity on both sides. So I don't think there's going to be any surprises. Um, both teams got a lot of good players and I, it's um, it should be really high level and really competitive. And, you know, for us, it's, you know, just do what we do at the, to the best that we can, right? You know, if we... If we're in control of the serve and pass game, then we'll end up winning. And I think that goes for both teams, you know, and um, we feel there's, you know, some things that we have an advantage in and can exploit. And, uh, you know, we'll look to um, to be the best version of ourselves and bring that championship home. You know, given the year that 2020 was and, and just what your team, you know, you referenced what they went through, getting to this level at any year would be is, is, is meaningful, but it has to be especially meaningful this year. Yeah, I mean it's been a it's been quite the journey. You know, we thought, <clears throat> I mean, the, the way last year ended, we had just played BYU and beaten them in an an epic five set match in front of a sold out crowd, the Stan Sheriff Center. So it, there is some kind of poetic justice to us getting back this year because we've been the two best teams for the last two years, and I don't think either team would you know take for granted to get back to this moment because there are there are so many good teams, and it is hard to to you know, win all the way to get here. But um, I, I think it is fitting that uh, these two teams are going to play for a championship tomorrow. You know, you th look back at this uh, championship run and, and when you just look back at your career, now you've been in this position uh, over 10 years now uh, in this role as a head coach and to where you've gotten this team now back in the national title match, how long of a process has it taken you to get this program back to this level? And when you think about it, and how hard is it to maintain being, you know, one of the top elite teams in the country year in and year out, given uh, the fact that you have to take this program from where it started to where it is now? Yeah, well, thank you. That's, you know, it's it certainly <clears throat> from the beginning, it was a, 
kind of a long-term goal and tried to, you know, build for sustained success, not just, you know, like, you know, a, a kind of be really good in the moment. You know, we, we've built this on, um, like I said, trying to, to put a foundation in that's going to allow us to be successful year after year. And, and that really comes down to the buy-in of the guys and having, you know, the, the values and things that we want the guys focusing on on a daily basis are things in their control and, um, and really things that are centered around just being a better human, just being, you know, successful in everything you do and, and how you treat other people. So um, the buy-in has been significant, you know, and I think that each group that's come through really since uh, that 2015 where we were um, in the national championship tournament for the first time and, you know, might have been 20 years. And then, you know, we've kind of been knocking on the door ever since and been here. So and each each year, each group is kind of built upon the, the preceding one. And, um, you know, this group of seniors and these guys, these veterans for us are have really laid a nice foundation for the next group, the young guys that we have on the roster now. And, and one thing that I always tell them, like, you really will have done your job if two, three, four years from now, these young players are competing at the same level you are, then you will really have uh, contributed to the program in a meaningful way. I know the fans miss being in the stands at the Stands Sheriff Center. Uh, what can you tell us about when that might be possible again? What are some of the conversations that you're having about that? Not soon enough for us. <laughs> um, you know, we could have used them against San Diego a few weeks ago. Um, those decisions are well above my pay grade. You know, I'm just out there trying to help them play volleyball and uh, other people are making those decisions. Looking at, um, at back, you know, we of course are here, but we're hearing about all the support that's coming in from um, back home in Hawaii and just the amount of attention that this team obviously has gotten this season and now in these final moments. Uh, just your thoughts on what the fan support has been like during this time of COVID-19 and how they have continued to support this team even while being socially and physically distant. Yeah, really remarkable and incredibly humbling from the beginning. You know, like I said, we were we were having great fan support. And like I said, played the last match was in a sold out crowd. And there certainly would have been more coming with us hosting the, the the Big West Championship and some really kind of big name opponents on last year's schedule. And then and then when the announcement came that the season had been canceled and we could bring back this group of seniors, so many people in the community stepped up and donated money, a hard earned money to to help fund and bring these guys back. And um, they've been there for us every step of the way, you know? And so we're, we're, like I said, incredibly just humbled by the, the level of support we got and thankful um, for everything they do. And, you know, that really has been kind of the, the motivation for us is to bring that championship home to the people of Hawaii because um, we so much appreciate everything they've done for us. Well, we appreciate all that you're doing for us. It lifts our spirits to see the team doing so well. So good luck in the match. And thank you so much for spending some of your morning with us. We really do appreciate it. Thank you. It's four, almost five o'clock. Good <laughs> afternoon or morning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you guys for having me on Rhino. I walked down here and I was looking around for you. Like, <laughs> I'll see you in a few oh, moments. There he is. I'll see you in a few minutes. <laughs> thank yeah, you so much. Yeah, I got much. that same mirror in my room. <laughs> all right. thank you guys. Aloha. Well, there you have it, head coach Charlie Wade, uh, again, on the eve of this epic matchup with BYU. Again, Hawaii will be playing uh, the Cougars of BYU tomorrow for the national title. You can catch that match on ESPNU. It will be uh, airing at 2 p.m. Hawaii time, 8 p.m. here uh, on the East Coast. But uh, a lot of people looking forward to it. Yanji, I'm getting a lot of messages, <laughs> uh, a lot of just shout outs and people really looking forward to seeing this matchup and uh, hoping for the best. 
Yeah, and we got to ask you, you know, what was it like just to be watching that game and and to see them, you know, at that moment when you knew that they were going to advance? Yeah, you know, it was uh, a little bit of both because I'm I'm here working and so we're, you know, doing a lot of the behind the scenes thing. But I, I think it was just a relief knowing that they were going to be given this opportunity again to be able to compete for this national title. And I, I will say that one of the things that I've noticed about this team is just how dialed in that they are. Uh, they are extremely focused. They aren't um, being distracted by anything else that's happening. They recognize what needs to be done. And they're just a great group of guys. Uh, you know, they all get along with each other. They seem to keep things light. They're not too, uh, you know, tight and, and just worried about this matchup. They're having a good time, but they understand uh, what this means for the school, the institution, and the state. And they're taking that, this responsibility very seriously. Uh, so we are all looking forward to that uh, match tomorrow. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much for getting Charlie on our show this morning. That's so <laughs> awesome for us to see. Uh, looking ahead to next week, we've got a jam-packed week and some uh, guests that I think will be getting a lot of attention. Lieutenant Governor Josh Green joins us on Monday. And then we're doing the rest of the week, kind of a rail week. Lori Kahikina, who is, of course, the interim CEO of Heart, will be joining us on Wednesday. And Colleen Hanabusa will be joining us to talk about her new role uh, that's gotten a lot of attention and what she foresees for the project. Uh, you know, we've heard from Maisie Hirono and others that the federal government will likely not be joining us uh, with a bailout. So how do they make up that deficit? Uh, Going to be a busy week. But for now, of course, Ryan, we know your attention is in Columbus. <laughs> that is. But we <laughs> thank all of you for tuning in and being a part of this conversation. Looking forward to heading home next week and being back there uh, in Hawaii. But thank you all for watching. And we'll see you right back here on Monday for another Spotlight Hawaii. Until then, stay safe and go Bulls. Aloha.